On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, this month, we're focusing on the 2023 hop crop, from what's happening in the Pacific Northwest to the fields of Michigan. We're going to talk about what's already in the ground, how the yield is looking, exciting hops, and how small brewers can foster a relationship with farmers. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 44. And a quick word on content. This show is for nano brewers, both existing and in planning. So tell us what you want to hear. What are the topics that you want to learn more about? What issues are you interested in? And who are the brewers you want to hear from? Email us. It's nano at byo.com. And now on to the show. This is the time of year that we start thinking about the North American hop harvest. And before the farmers got too busy in the fields, we invited two of them to share updates from the ground. John Siegel Jr. is here to give us an update on the Pacific Northwest. And then we're going to hear from Brian Tennis of the Michigan Hop Alliance on what that state's hop crop is looking like and the challenges and promises that similar regions and states have on the horizon. But first, a word of thanks to the show's sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Fermentus. Do you brew 25 to 50 gallon batches? Safe Lager is available in flexible 100 gram pouches, perfect for your brews. Fermentus offers a wide range of lager yeasts covering traditional to modern style lagers, creating floral, fruity, or neutral character, as well as enhancing malty and hoppy character. Want to know more about Safe Lager yeasts? Visit fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Five Star Chemicals. We've got a game changer to discuss, PBW liquid from Five Star Chemicals. This stuff tackles those stubborn stains just like the OG powder, but is easier to dose and dissolve quicker. Say goodbye to those scrubbing nightmares and hello to cleaner, happier brewing days. Use Five Star Chemicals today and taste the difference in your brews. Visit fivestarchemicals.com to learn more. Also, you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. Now let's get into the conversations. John Siegel Jr. was a hop geek at birth. Do you need proof? He brought a block of hops to show and tell in first grade. He received his brewing legs at Anchor Brewing Company in San Francisco, fresh out of college. And after his stint at Anchor, he joined the family hop business. Five years later, he parted company with his father to work in the media industry. When his father passed away, John stepped back into the business. An alarming landscape in the hop industry awaited him, he says. Craft brewers were paying exorbitant prices for their hops from intermediaries. Worse, to get hops, craft brewers had to sign five-year contracts. At the time, Siegel Ranch had been an Anheuser-Busch grower for 25 years, and Anchor Brewing Company was its only craft brewing partner. The direct relationship between their ranch and brewers created opportunities for collaboration, experimentation, and innovation. John envisioned broadening the range of craft brewers that Siegel Ranch served and replicating this productive grower-to-brewer model. Today, Siegel Ranch has a wonderful direct relationship with some of the top craft breweries in the world, and John is having a blast doing it. He joined me via Zoom. John, welcome to the show, and thanks for being here this month. 
I'm wondering if you can give us all the perspective of what's happening on the farm right now, what Yakima is like uh, this time of year right now, and how you're feeling about the rest of the year to come now that you're headed into the to the super busy season. Well, thanks, John. It's good to hear your voice. And yeah, it's uh, it's crazy time right now. This is <laughs> this is when all hop growers are cleaning up their facilities, you know, um, uh, air blasting and cleaning their picking machines and kilns and uh, starting to do dry matter analysis or looking when they might be starting uh, harvest. And uh, it's been a surprising year this year. Uh, we've had a beautiful growing season. Spring was um, great. Um, and the summer has been consistent, but yet suddenly the centennial crop, at least at our farm, and we've heard from others, um, experienced some split bloom um, early on, which is where, you know, the, the, hop, the hop plant actually gets a little schizophrenic and produces cones, and then the other half of the plant doesn't. Um, so what happens is you can get some um, overripe cones within your centennial harvest, which, you know, Gets, gives you more onion and garlic and, and OG, OG factors in the, in the rub. Uh, so there have been some challenges, even though it's been a beautiful growing season. The other thing that's really surprising, I just spoke to our ranch manager yesterday, is that the centennial crop, at least where we are in the lower valley, the Yakima Valley, is going to be very early this year. We typically start harvest around the 23rd to the 25th of August. And this year it could be seven to 10 days early. So that's also just put a real a real kink in getting uh, everything ready for your harvest, um, uh, getting your crew in early. But the other problem is, is that once we finish our centennial harvest, our other varieties might not be ready to pick. You got to remember hops are kind of like apples yeah. or grapes. So, you know, then what do you do? Do you close down for five days to a week and do you lose your crew? So it's, um, it's, it's going to be a challenging harvest this year for all growers because for some reason, um, the hops are the hops are maturing earlier. I, I want to talk about that a little bit more, but just as a refresher, you're talking about you know it being a great spring and and, and summer's been on track. Um, what are the conditions in the Yakima Valley that you're looking for uh, that lead to a good harvest? Like what what do you strive for in spring and summer um, to get you to this point now? Well, in the spring, what you what you want is consistent temperatures. Um, you don't want a super cold spring. You don't want a super hot spring. So we've had years where in the spring, early spring, we've had snow on the ground in late April. So that that the plants are still dormant. And so that, that was 2020 crop. And so suddenly, you know, the plants are super late because they're just waking up. And that that poses a problem because you don't want to be picking hops in late October and worrying about frost. So you don't want a super cold spring. You also don't want a super hot spring. We've had years where it's been 95 degrees in you know May. And that also um, really hurts the hops because they can't take uh, the early, the early crop can't take that type of heat. It puts the plant into shock. Um, so then it won't grow. And then you have a combination where we've had years where it's been super cold and then it's been super hot. And that also creates havoc with the plant, right? Because, you know, it's saying what's going on here, you know? So this year, uh, 23 crop, we've had just very consistent, nice weather. 
um, uh, and not and, and not super wet. It's just been nice growing, uh, growing uh, temperatures in the spring. There was nothing shocking about it. And then in the summertime, we're looking for high temperatures. We'd like it to get up to the triple digits for a few days, as long as it's below 60 degrees at night. We don't mind if it's 100, 101, 102 for a few days. <laughs> you might be the only person in the country saying that, but yeah. I know that. But, you know, if it drops below 60 at night, that's a beautiful, that's beautiful growing weather. But, you know, consistently we want, you know, in the summertime, we want late 80s to early 90s or even higher as long as it drops below 60 at night. And that's what we've had this year. It's been it's been a great growing growing season. And no worries about fires this year. We don't talk about that. OK, we don't okay. like to even talk about fires. That's a bad that's a bad word. <laughs> no, so it's the, far, four, it's the four letter word we don't allow on the show. Gotcha. Exactly. Exactly. So far, so good. That's all I can say. And But you okay. never know. It can pop up at any time. And it's, it has really created a lot of issues as far as um, smoke taint in, in, in hops uh, in the past. Um, I won't tempt the, the, the fates because they can be they can be cruel. Um, so you brought up um, it's centennial, right, that you're going to be picking early. Yes. Or earlier than usual. Um, does that, is that going to, to impact aroma, flavor, anything, or is it just, Hey, we're going to get this a little bit earlier. Is there, I guess, down use, uh, or, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but, um, are there any impacts to, to, to the brewers or potential beers down the road, uh, from picking early? I think it's going to be farm to farm. Um, I th- definitely the centennial crop from what we've seen in, in the Yakima Valley will be light this year. So that's going to impact um, the amount of pounds produced. Now, that might be a good thing considering that many brewers are long on their positions. Uh, many of the larger breweries who use centennial, um, you know, contract three years out and have bought based on X, you know, forecasted sales and brewer to brewer you don't know if they've hit those numbers or not so it might be a good thing that there's a a lighter centennial crop um what we're concerned about is two things one there's some split bloom out there so we're really concerned about the overall quality of the finished product after years worth of work if you have over the hill cones that are cheesy and oniony mixed with um uh cones that are are mature but just perfect it can influence the aromas in the, in in the brewer's cut in, in selection but the other problem you have is a balance because if you pick too early then you're not getting the full ripeness of what you're looking for in a centennial and that that can impact uh, the overall quality. And of course, we're looking for weight. We're looking for getting the cones to fill out and mature just to the right to the right spot. And so if you pick early, um, you could have some greenness in the in the final product um, or also less pounds per acre because you picked early. So it's it's really a balance. Um, the way you go out, the way yeah. you figure it out is you do dry matter analysis, you walk out into the fields and you, you start rubbing and looking field to field. That's what we do. And just really determine, okay, you know, I can tell just by rubbing this row and going to another field and rubbing X amount of rows and really listening to the hops, opening up the cones, looking, feeling the moisture. And you can just tell when basically your uh, variety is ready to go. Um, and then you have to look at how many acres of that variety you have. You know, if you have 100 acres of that variety, then, you you know, it's you, you can maybe 
wait a little bit longer. Uh, it sounds like a lot of acres, but there's some people that have 300 acres of Centennial. And so those, those farms have to start a little earlier be, be, to pick the hops to get them in before they start to go over the hill. So it's a real balance. It's, um, it's called farming and it really can be a challenge. <laughs> um, I, I think people do forget sometimes that there is farming involved. I know I certainly do because you get caught up in the final product and you get caught up in aroma and appearance and, um, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to go out to, to harvest, you know, it's um, you're walking the fields, but you're more thinking about, um, uh, I don't know, the, the, the spirit of the industry um, right. at, at this type of thing. But um, from a larger perspective, because I think that right now the, the brewing industry um, is having a bit of a, a, a reckoning on the business side of things with um, real worry and, and, and real concern. But um on a broader scale, what's the state of farming right now? And what's the, what are the, 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 the critical issues that you're thinking about aside from just the harvest and, and good weather? It's a great question. Uh, you know, we are having as hop farmers, tremendous challenges. We, um, besides that, besides the weather, which is always, and, you know, and mildew and pests and all that stuff that you normally have, we also have labor issues. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, changes that have happened in the last few years um, with um, overtime, um, uh, new rules and regulations that have hit Washington state and hit other states. So we now are paying basically um, right around what Trader Joe's pays an employee there. Um, and then there's overtime, uh, which I'm not going to get deeply into, but uh, we are getting hit now with, you know, if you're if a worker works 55 hours or more a week, they, they can get time and a half on, the, on their uh, hourly wage. Uh, so labor, as far as getting people to work on a farm and, and uh, during harvest, because it's, it's hard work, but also we have overtime issues uh, now. And we also are going being hit with a new temperature regulation where during the during harvest, if it's over a certain degree, then there has to be breaks, which I have no problem with. It's a 10 minute break. Oh, yeah. um, that's fine. And we do that anyway on a hot day. But um, the overtime issue is really impacting us because um, uh, it's going to sound terrible. And I, I really am a, a, a liberal person. But, you know, harvest is only 30 days um, a year. And, and the workers that we want work with, they want their people come back year, year after year. They want as many hours as they can because they don't get as much work in the wintertime. So sure. it, it really, um, it, th this whole thing started with a dairy farm um, in California with workers. And I can totally understand what happened there because you're kind of stuck on the farm and always having to milk the cows. But when you look at hops, cherries, and apples, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a short harvest, it's 30 days. And then they move on to another product and, and they, they want to get as many hours as they can. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a discussion for another time, but that is also one of the challenges we're having as farmers is dealing with, um, with overtime, uh, getting labor, um, and, and then, you know, the cost of fuel, the, the cost of everything um, to, to bring a bale of hops in um, it's costing us more. And, and that's, that's always a challenge. And, and honestly, a lot of the larger breweries, you know, they're looking, uh, to, to, um, you know, pay less for their hops. So it's, it's, um, it's always a balance and a, a challenge. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing as far as where, 
because I know you work with a lot of the larger breweries, but um, where are their interests these days as far as hops they're looking for um, or looking to incorporate into their beers? You know, it's interesting. I think that brewers are like chefs, right? So they are always looking for the next great spice. Um, of course, they also are going to use um, many, the, many of the mainstay hops that are public, like Cascade and Centennial. But they're also, you know, also deeply involved with the proprietary hops like Citra Mosaic. Um, and they also love, uh, many of them love the hops out of New Zealand. So th they're always looking for, for the next great spice. And, you know, at our farm, we've, we've, for the last 15 years, we've done, we've had our own nursery and Martin Ramos, our manager, uh, was trained by um, Chuck Zimmerman. And Chuck Zimmerman is the breeder who, um, you know, bred Centennial and Columbus and Chinook and also trained Jason Peralt, who's probably one of the best um, breed, hop breeders in the world. Sure. Uh, so, um, Martin, we've come up with a few varieties that have gotten a lot of traction. Uh, one is called Zumo. And Zumo is a, we only have five acres in the ground, but it's an amazing hop that has lime zest um, notes uh, that transfer. Uh, Russian River just did a beer called Zumo Wrestler Pale Ale. Uh, <laughs> it was absolutely fabulous. Um, and um, uh, Stone Brewing Company is also very excited about Zumo and they've, they've done some testing on it. And so we're very excited about Zumo. And the other hop um, the Seagull Ranch has always been kind of a maverick farm. Um, we actually allowed a brewer to name a hop, which was um, a big mistake. Uh, and it was, uh, <laughs> it was Brian Strumke from Stillwater, who Brian is a brilliant brewer. Um, and um, the hop roddy, the experimental was 24B05, which he rubbed up about five years ago and loved. And about two years later, we had about 20 pounds left. And he, he, we offered to allow him to uh, sponsor an acre of 24 BO5 um, and he could take the hops off of it. And he said, I'll do that only if I could name the hop. And I said, okay, what do you want to name it? And he goes, well, I want to name it anchovy. And so I looked at Martin, Martin looked at me and I said, well, why don't you just call our hop shit? Because other than the smell of shit, you know, anchovy is right there. And uh, Brian laughed and said, well, what brewer is not going to want to rub or try a hop called anchovy? And what consumer is not going to want to try a beer with a hop called anchovy? So I said, what the hell do I know? I'm just a hop grower. Fine. And long story short, I mean, anchovy now, we have 10 acres in the ground. Um, over 30 breweries, mostly very small breweries, um, have brewed with it. Um, and it has this great watermelon rind, watermelon candy necklace thing happening. Um, and uh, a lot of larger craft breweries as well have tested with anchovy. And the hop um, is, is pretty, uh, pretty exciting stuff right now as far as this hop. So that's where I think, you know, a small farm like the Seagull Ranch is innovating and coming up with new varieties. And, and again, brewers are always looking for a new hop to differentiate themselves from others in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's also kind of just a fun name and it, uh, it certainly got my attention, uh, after, uh, Brian alerted me to it a couple of years ago. And, um, and then obviously talking with you about it, uh, down the line. And yeah, I think that that's good for, um, you know, just, it's just getting people to come around. Yeah. Like a counterculture name. I'll tell you how far it's gone. Believe it or not, the, um, at the next CBC in Vegas, you know, the, uh, the, the USA the Brewers conference. Yeah. Yeah. The craft brewers conference conference. Um, they always have the U S hops booth there with single hop beers. 
and we filled out an application and there will be a single hop anchovy beer on draft uh, at, at the craft brewers convention next year in, in Las Vegas. So that's, oh. that's how far the hop is going. So that's pretty exciting as well. Sure. But it also means having to go to Vegas. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is always like crazy <laughs> for sure. I've only been once. <laughs> um, you brought up smaller breweries and yep. um, uh, how they're using anchovy and how they're, 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 they're getting into it. I think, Based on conversations, uh, there is sometimes worry that smaller brewers have, nanos have, um, when it comes to uh, calling a farm, uh, having some conversations, uh, because they know that they can't put in an order that, you know, a larger brewery, you know, you mentioned Stone and Russian River, you know, they're, they're, right. they're, they're not going to be able to put in orders like that. And they say, oh, well, you know, they're probably not going to want to talk to me. Um uh, and this is what brewers have told me in the past. So, um, and then there's other brewers who walk in with all the confidence of the world saying like, yeah, I, you know, I, I do 50 barrels a year and of course you're going to take a meeting with me kind of thing. Um, but from, from your perspective, um, and, and having the farm and having the ranch, um, what should, what should the approach for smaller brewers be, um, when they're curious, when they want to have that conversation? You know, we have a website at SiegelRanch.com, S-E-G-A-L Ranch.com. We have gotten a lot of inquiries from small brewers, um, Offset Beer in, in Utah, uh, um, Streetside in Cincinnati recently, where they just wanted a box of our high oil cascades. And, you know, we happen to have a couple pallets of our 22 crop high oil cascades um, available. And we've sold boxes. Um, and, you know, it, it's probably brewer to brewer and, and the reason and what they want to do with it. I mean, fast fashion um, has been great. Uh, Matt Storm, um, who's a very small brewery, has been great in getting anchovy out to a lot of small brewers out in the universe and internationally. So I would say, you know, uh, we're certainly open to working on very small amounts. It's just, you know, it's the amount of time it takes for me to sell a box is the same as selling, you know, a thousand pounds or 10,000 pounds, you know, I, uh, so, but I, I do it from time to time because, I get an inquiry and, and, you know, they're very nice about it um, and we'll work with them if we have it. So uh, I, that's how we roll. We're also a very small farm. We're only 470 acres. The average size hop farm is about 800 acres. So I understand the plight of a, of a small brewer. And, and, uh, and, and so we treat everyone the same. Actually, we charge the same amount to uh, a small brewery as we do a larger craft brewery. So we're, we're very, we're very um, fair that way as far as uh, how we work at the Seagull Ranch. I like that. Um, you know, I, I know the question is always posed to, um, to, to hop farmers and breeders of, you know, what's new or what's on the horizon. And, and, and I know that question happens, um, uh, quite a bit. And I know you were talking about, uh, your, your two varieties that are out there, but, um, I want to flip that question to you a little bit of what would you like to see from small breweries? going forward what would you like to experience as as a consumer when it comes to uh, visiting brewers tasting beers um or seeing innovation in the space well two things uh you know most breweries today uh small brewers did not experience the hop shortage of 2007 to 2008 um so right now the pendulum you know, the pendulum was swinging in a very, very um, positive level for craft brewers where people were growing, you know, 20 to 50% a year. Now the pendulum swung the other way. 
Um, the hop, farm, hop farmers responded to the explosive growth for the last 10 years by putting more acres in in response to two craft breweries. Now, craft breweries are flat or losing sales, so obviously acres are going out. And what happens? What happened in the hop shortage in the 2007-8 range was that the pendulum swung the other way, but then we had a very bad harvest, and then suddenly there was a shortage. So suddenly small brewers were caught where they were paying, let's say, 4 or $5 a pound for hops, and they suddenly had to pay 18 to $20 a pound for, for Cascades or, or CTZs. And we were locked into five-year contracts. So, you know, one of the things that that I try and remind any size brewery is that if you're going to live and die by the spot market, um, then don't complain uh, if suddenly the hops shoot up from, you know, let's say $8 a pound to $23 a pound. Um, the smart move for any size brewer is to conservatively go out, either work directly with a farmer or with a merchant and, and contract for three years out. Uh, based on a very conservative number. And that way you will be ensured that you're going to have those hops in the future because you can't brew beer without hops, bottom line. And it's always better to be long than short. If you're short, you can't brew beer. And that's what happened. And you know that, John, that's yeah. what happened. And, you know, you know, I sat down with Tony McGee at Lagunitas when he was a 40,000 barrel brewery. Now that that sounds like a large brewery to most of your listeners, but you know, right now, Lagunitas is hundreds of thousands of barrels, and he got locked in, as everyone else did, to a five-year deal at $18 a pound, and he was furious, and he said he'll never work you know, with, with uh, merchants again. I'm not saying don't work with merchants. I think they have a very important role in the business, but I'm just saying that any size brewery should absolutely look at, at um, conservative numbers of what they're going to need and contract uh, conservatively and lock in some uh, lock in some contracts because then then you don't have to think about it you know um, and 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 it'll allow you to be more creative in future recipe generation and knowing that you're going to have the hops in 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 uh, in stock. Yeah, it's um, I guess I, I in thinking about 07, 08 and the brewers that were there. Um, you know, that lived through it. And I, and I think that the pandemic also um, helped with a lot of lessons as well for those who had um, uh, even just a year or two under their belt of smarter business practices, preparing for the unknown, preparing for uncertain times um, going forward. But if you're sort of seeing this pendulum swing back towards that era, um, is there one, two, three things that you think smaller breweries should be thinking about now um, just in case we do hit those extremes? Yeah, I, again, you know, here's the thing. It, it, we're going to be a much smaller farm next year. We're going to be taking out more acres because um, the larger craft breweries don't need the hops, right? So if we're doing this, you can think about the large guys, what they're doing, right? And, and you know, the, some, some of the bigger farms are, are playing the alpha game. They're, they planted a lot of um, high alpha hops um, and banking the Sea of Germany is not going to have a good crop as far as their super alpha harvest is concerned, but that's that's gambling to me. Um, so I, there's going to be a lot more acres going out if I had to if I had a forecast in the future. and and that's a good thing uh, for some uh, for supply and demand. Um, but again, you know two things about depending on the spot market, whether you're using the Lupulin exchange or anyone anything else, it's a couple things. One is that it's like going to the supermarket. you hope you hope the toilet paper is going to be there, right? 
But during the pandemic, there was a shortage of toilet paper. And what happened? People, people were lining up for hours trying to get toilet paper. Well, you don't want that to be your hop position, right? Um, because that, that creates an undue stress. It's stressful enough to operate a small brewery. Uh, and I see that in the future that local small breweries are going to do just fine. It seems that there's a real local uh, attention to local um, that's working for, for um, small um, regional breweries. And so if I were in, in those shoes, I would definitely want to make sure I have um, hops uh, contracted, but also quality hops, good quality hops on contract. And, and you know, on the back of our hats, it, it always states all hops are good, some are better. And yeah. that's the other thing we're not, we haven't even talked about is that, you know, this is not a commodity. These are family farms and, and big farms. And everyone has a different way of growing, drying and processing. Um, there are little things that happen. There's also, I've talked about for the last 14 years, uh, 14 years ago, I, I brought up the fact of terroir, you know, and all the hop growers looked at me like I was from Mars. But, you know, <laughs> the terroir down where we are in the lower valley is very different. It's hilly and cool at night by the Yakima River versus Toppenish, which is flat and bakes during the day. And so the, the Cascade or Centennial or, or Citra will be a little bit different in the lower valley where we are versus in other areas of the Yakima Valley. And then if you want to put in Oregon and Idaho, you've got, you know, think of it as wine grapes, you know, and that's how we treat our hops. So, you know, it's, it's also a question working with on the spot business is that who grew your hops, where are they from, and, and what, what is the quality? And I think yeah. that's very important for small brewers to also realize it's not like going to the supermarket and buying pepper, you know, pepper in a grinder or pep, you know, peppercorns. You want to know who grew those hops and if they really did a good job. And I don't care if you're a, you know, 2000 barrel brewery or less, you know, you should be very concerned about who grew those hops, how they grew them and the quality. Yeah. Well, a lot of food for thought and, um, as always, I appreciate your your insight into all of this, and uh, I know you have a busy busy couple of weeks now ahead of you, and then maybe a lull, and then another couple of busy weeks uh, ahead of you. So I appreciate you you taking the time and um, and and sharing your insight and being on the on the show this month. I know you mentioned the website earlier, but uh, one more time for folks who are listening, uh, sure, if they want to get in contact, yeah, sure. It's Siegel Ranch, S E G A L Ranch dot com. Uh, and there's a, there's an area where you can just send us a email and, and people have done it. Uh, and we will have some anchovy available this year. Zumo is going to be very tight. We only have five acres and most of it's, um, most of it's sold, but anchovy, we should have some, and it's a really cool hop. So, uh, but you know, we have high oil cascades available right now too. And, and I can tell you, KCBC is, it loves them and bought a few pallets, um, because it's working for them. So, uh, New we York have zone. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So anyway, John, always a pleasure. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. More in a moment, but thanks to this episode's sponsors. I hope you'll give them a closer look. Fermentus. Do you brew 25 to 50 gallon batches? Safe Lager is available in flexible 100 gram pouches. Perfect for your brews. Fermentus offers a wide range of lager yeasts covering traditional to modern style lagers, creating floral, fruity, or neutral character, as well as enhancing malty or hoppy character. Want to know more about safe lager yeasts? Visit fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Five Star Chemicals. 
We've got a game changer to discuss. PBW Liquid from Five Star Chemicals. This stuff tackles those stubborn stains just like the OG powder, but is easier to dose and dissolve quicker. Say goodbye to those scrubbing nightmares and hello to cleaner, happier brewing days. Use Five Star Chemicals today and taste the difference in your brews. Visit fivestarchemicals.com to learn more. Also, you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. And now let's look east to Michigan, a state that's been pushing into the hop growing and production for years now and is getting a closer look from breweries. I'm joined by Brian Tennis. He's founder and owner of the Hop Alliance. It's the oldest independent hop operation in Michigan. They grow, process, and market hops for the brewing industry. And they also work with hop farmers from around the world and distribute hops from nine different countries. He joined me via Zoom. Brian, thanks for being on the show this month. I appreciate it. And I, I know we, I was saying this before we started recording, but uh, when it comes to uh, hop production, harvest, and a lot of the interest, it's its usually focused on the Pacific Northwest, just based on its size and its scope. Um, but what's happening in Michigan these days? I, I, I know you guys have a, a small but fierce hold on the marketplace. And what's ha- what's happening in, in your great state these days? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me on. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be on and uh, talk about uh, Michigan and uh, the hop growing region here. We've actually been growing hops in Michigan. This will be our 16th harvest. We're the oldest hop yard in the state. And a few years ago, we were up to almost a thousand acres. And over the last few years, we've definitely faced some challenges just like the rest of the industry. So I think we're down to about six or 700 acres. Um, approximately a lot of the smaller growers got out of it just because you know, they were sitting at three to five acres and it just wasn't profitable. So the, um, the long-term projections are still really good. And we're right on the 45th parallel uh, where we're at, where our farm is located anyway, which is a real sweet spot for growing hops. So we can definitely grow world-class hops here just on a much smaller uh, scale, obviously. But we've got all the processing uh, down, including, you know, dryers pelletizers and all that stuff so we can go from plant to pellet um, pretty pretty efficiently efficiently and professionally in these days yeah i this the thing that i like about michigan hops and you know I, I i've talked with you over the years and other growers as well as there have been other states that have tried to make a go of larger scale hop production uh hop growing um and you know harvesting and and, and getting it out there and and Again, outside of the Pacific Northwest, I don't know if there is another state that has the stick to itness that Michigan has had. I think, is is know, that fair? New York, yeah, to a, to a certain extent. Um, one, we're, you know, besides uh, the automotive industry, agriculture is our number two industry in Michigan. So we've got a long history of farming here, but. Ohio and New York and to a lesser extent, Wisconsin, they've always, they're, they're kind of, you know, sticking in there and holding their own as well. 
but Michigan, um, I think we, we've got a big advantage because we've got so many breweries in the state who actually support our industry. Uh, you know, obviously Bells and Founders, but uh, down the line, Shorts, New Holland, Arbor, the list goes on and on. We sell to a couple hundred breweries in Michigan. So without their support, I think you wouldn't see the industry that we do have. I Yeah, I get that. Um, so where do Michigan hops, or I guess what, what's the, what's the focus these days of what's in the, what's in the fields? Unfortunately, it's, um, 99% of the hops that we grow in Michigan are public hops because there's no, there's really no way that we can get access to the big proprietary varieties like Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic, Amarillo, all those. So we're predominantly growing, uh, you know, at our farm, we, uh, we, we farm and we process 20, 22 different varieties. So everything from, you know, bitter gold, cascade, centennial, Chinook, you know, you know, the list goes on and on, but, um, our, our primary focus is public varieties, obviously, but we do we we do grow some interesting crops here for sure. I mean, Fuggle, uh, Middle Fru, uh, Magnum, Multi Head, the list goes on and on. So we we there's probably I want to say like 30 different varieties in Michigan that that is currently growing. And I think the only proprietary hop. And by proprietary, I mean like, you know, the big ones like El Dorado, I think is the only one that's currently grown in the state. There's some lesser ones that are, that were released by Great Lake Hops, mm -hmm. like um, Copper, Emerald Spire, uh, Mackinac, that um, are grown to a lesser extent. But um, primarily it's just, um, you know, public, public varieties. Um, and. I know you've done the analysis in the past, and I, I, I remember having conversations uh, with you and other folks in the past. Um, there are, are there flavor differences? Are there aroma differences between the public hops that are grown in Michigan versus what's coming out of the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, absolutely. Even within the state, we see different uh, variations due to terroir. It's, you know, that's a, that's a concept usually attributed to grape growing, but you can definitely tell hops that were grown in the Pacific Northwest as opposed to Michigan or other regions. Um, Chinook is one of the standouts right now because in the Pacific Northwest, you get a big, you know, pine gin uh, flavor from those hops, whereas Michigan grown Chinook is more pineapple. Okay. And we're starting to do a lot more studies with Michigan State University in terms of uh, just aroma qualities and differences um, we'll actually have the means to do some of that testing so um, down the line there's some of them are subtle differences and as um, and then some of them like the chinook in particular there's big differences so um, you know a cascade grown in the Pacific northwest is not going to be exactly the same as grown in michigan even hops grown up here i'm in the I'm in the 45th parallel on the Wheelon Peninsula. Our hops are different from, say, hop heads down in Kalamazoo. It's just because it's different um, 
soils, growing conditions, and we're three, four hours north of those guys. So there's definitely, even within the state, there's microclimates. Yeah. So how do you communicate that to brewers who, you know, may be looking at, you know, or understand, uh, you know, the traditional aromas and flavors off of some of these hop varietals, but then, you know, Michigan's throwing them for a curve a little bit. Like where, um, where's the sweet spot in that? Yeah. Now, okay. But, um, you know, it, it all comes down to quality and we have to, we also have to be price competitive, obviously, but, um, it's just having brewers try it and having, having them get to understand the subtleties of the different hops that we're growing. And it's just, um, you know, building those relationships with the brewers, maybe sending them some samples so they can rub them and, you know, get a feel for what's going on. Is there a good amount that leaves the state? Um, yeah, because I don't think the, except for the, you know, the, the big boys like founders and bells, they could take our entire crop like tomorrow. Cause there's only like <laughs> probably ah, like six, 700 acres planted in the state. And, and, you know, say a thousand, fifteen hundred pounds an acre. That's not really a, a, a lot of hops, but um, if Bells or Founders, um, they don't take the bulk of those hops, then the Michigan brewing industry really can't absorb even even that amount. So we ship our hops to you know, like probably close to three thousand brewers across the country, and some of it even leaves the United States on an occasion. We'll ship to Europe. But I would say it's hard to gauge, but um, from our standpoint, we probably sell maybe 60, 60% of our Michigan grown hops within the state, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. And it's, that's probably the same for the, for the bulk of the other growers in the state. Yeah. Um, the dogs are excited about hops. I dig it. Um, as as you think about um, the last 16 years and the years coming up, what are you seeing as some of the the challenges, but also the opportunities for Michigan hops? Um, well, at some point, we're going to have to develop our own hop, and we're going to have to somehow get some proprietary hops growing. Because if you look at what's selling across the board in the United States, you know, maybe 60, 70% of the hops that are in the top 10 are all, all private varieties. So if we want to compete, we're going to have to some, somehow come up with uh, like a true Michigan variety or have access to some of the, the popular pro, uh, proprietary hops. Without that, we're, I think we're going we're gonna to struggle as an industry to just be competitive. You know, it's, it's difficult to to grow just public varieties when a lot of people are looking for, you know, citra mosaic, um, et cetera. But with that said, we also import a lot of hops from like New Zealand, for example, we've got a family farm down there. So we import a lot of New Zealand hops. And so we're competitive in, in, in that aspect, but pure Michigan, um, it's all going to come down to price and quality. I think right now we're growing, easily the, the best quality hops we've ever grown. And we've been at it for 
16 years. So the quality is there as long as we, you know, the quality is there and the price is there. We can, can be competitive and customer service obviously plays a huge role in that as well. Yeah. Where, what are the conversations you enjoy having with small brewers and what are some of the things you'd like to see them paying attention to when it comes to what you're doing these days? Well, we're lucky because uh, probably 89% of our core business is small to mid-sized breweries. We even sell, you know, in one, one pound increments to home brewers, but we're lucky in the fact that so many of the smaller breweries are willing to take a chance and try a new variety um, whereas maybe some of the bigger guys can't do that because they're more focused on, you know, their core brands and their, you know, their flagships where the smaller guys, they, they tend to be much more experimental. So we're able to plant new and odd different varieties that will hopefully gain a lot quicker traction. Yeah. So as long as, as long as they can keep supporting, you know, the new and interesting varieties that are coming out. Um, we'll be okay. Yeah. And I, I think that there, there's also a fun element um, to locally grown hops and to, you know, things that might be, you know, slightly you know, skewed or different from what um, a lot of beer drinkers know, because it does give that sense of place. It does give um, a bit of intrigue to the glass, which, you know, I know right now, uh, there's folks who are, you know, bemoaning that there's no innovation in the industry or, um, you know, everything kind of tastes the same or everything is sort of you know, stagnant. Um, I think there's, as I'm speaking as a drinker, um, real opportunity and real fun that can be found uh, with small batch hops that, I don't know, kind of bring us back to some of those earlier days of uh, of craft and exploration. Yeah, and there's something to be said about drinking true local hops too. It's it's there's a lot of breweries in Michigan that will put the the hop variety obviously, and then where it was grown within the state. And there's something to be said for drinking a product that is truly locally produced. We've even got uh, maltsters in Michigan too, so you can have a uh, a true 100% Michigan produced beer. And I think that's a, that can be a key selling point too. Yeah. You mentioned New York and Ohio and Wisconsin uh, earlier. Do, do you get inquiries from other States from, from potential uh, future farmers from other States that are looking for insight to sort of replicate what you all have done? I don't know if replicate's um, the, the right past, word. Yes, I think, yeah. In the past, it was a lot more. Um, there was a lot more interest, I think, because the the craft industry is kind of maturing, um, and I don't want to say plateauing, but it's it's definitely maturing. You're not seeing as much of a, an intense demand um, by the farming community to plant more hops because you're looking at Yakima, for example, right now they're idling what ten thousand acres, something like that. Yeah. So. Um, there's still there's still some demand from small pine farmers, but they have to realize that in order to be profitable and truly sustainable, um, including your bottom line, you have to 
you're going to have to invest and you have to be to a certain size where um, a few years ago you could plant a couple acres and, and dabble in it and you'd be okay. Now I think you really need to be at least 10, if not 20 acres, have your own dryer and your own uh, baler. And, yeah. you know, you're looking at, you know, that could be a quarter million dollar investment right off the bat. So you're not really seeing too many of the one and two acres pop yards popping up anymore. I think the people who are getting in it really look at the ROI and everything that goes into it, including labor. I mean, service industry, as everybody knows, has been really hit hard, and that includes the farming industry. You've got to have the the labor and the capital behind it to to make it a successful operation. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't know how much more planting we're going to see. I think the industry as a whole has kind of pumped the brakes on, on planting in the U S well, I know we've, we've been able to point to some of these things as being cyclical in the past. So I hope, uh, at some point, uh, it begins to grow again or that there's renewed interest or even just a little bit of making it easier for, um, for farmers to plant hops in the ground and get them to us in the glass. Yeah, it's historically, I would say going back 70, 80, maybe 90 years, it's been like a 10-year boom and bust cycle for hop farmers. You know, it's like if there's a shortage, um, they go out, rush, and plant a bunch of hops, and then price goes down and gets depressed, and they have to pull it out. And that's been going on, like I said, a 10-year cycle, that's been going on forever. Yeah. And ho- hopefully we've learned our lessons. I mean, there's so much ops that have been pl- planted, and a lot of it is proprietary, but a lot of those ops are sitting in cold storage right now. You're looking at millions and millions of, of pounds of excess inventory. So hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've learned those lessons and we'll be growing a little more sustainably as we move forward. Maybe not so gung-ho as, as we have in the past. Here's hoping. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still, it's a wonderful industry to be in. I mean, I love what I, what I do. I actually enjoy going to work every day. So it's, you know, it's something I've been doing here in Michigan for 15, 16 years now. And I love the industry and I think it's, it's really strong and I see a really good um, forecast for it. I think we're going to see a swing back to maybe more traditional beers and, and maybe some, um, listening of the really crazy stuff that we've seen over the last <laughs> few years. So maybe, you know, some more traditional lagers, some good West coast IPAs and, and whatnot. I, I think this industry is still going to be very healthy for the foreseeable future. I like the optimism. Uh, Brian, if people want to find you uh, in the, I was, I don't know. I was trying to think of some way, some clever way of saying the internet, but if people want to find you online uh, or through social media, uh, where, where do they do that? The easiest thing to do is write their name and address on a $20 bill and send it to me. (laughs) And we can, we can take care of them real, real easy, but in all seriousness, that's Jersey level grift right there. My friend, I like that. (laughs) Sorry. Say it again. Well, it's just hopalliance.com. Okay. That's the easiest way to find us. Excellent. Um, well, I hope people but do that. But the $20 that. bill won't hurt either. Yeah, that's right. Let's keep the post office alive. Um, Amen. 
Brian, thanks for thanks for being on the show this month. Thanks for sharing your insights and uh, uh, looking forward to being back in Michigan one of these years to say hi in person and to actually see the farms. But uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time. Yeah, you're very welcome. And I appreciate what what you guys are doing for the industry. It really makes an impact. What hops are you looking forward to this season and how are you preparing for selection? Tell us by emailing nano at byo.com or tag byo on all of the various byo social media channels and i'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nano podcast there you can subscribe to the newsletter the magazine and catch up with great pro brewing content new episodes of this show are released on the 15th of each month so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released and you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And as always, thanks to this episode's sponsors, Fermentus. Safe Lager is available in flexible 100 gram pouches, perfect for your brews. Fermentus offers a wide range of lager yeasts covering traditional to modern style lagers, creating floral, fruity, or neutral character, as well as enhancing malty or hoppy character. Want to know more about safe lager yeasts? Visit fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Five Star Chemical. We've got a game changer to discuss. PBW Liquid from Five Star Chemicals. This stuff tackles those stubborn stains just like the OG powder, but is easier to dose and dissolve quicker. Say goodbye to those scrubbing nightmares and hello to cleaner, happier brewing days. Use Five Star Chemicals today and taste the difference in your brews. Visit fivestarchemicals.com to learn more. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast from All About Beer. You can find that where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. <laughs> <laughs>